Welcome to the Employee Lounge. I'm your host, Joe Kang, and today we'll be talking about the commemoration of the passing of the Americans with Disabilities Act and how it impacts hiring decisions with our special guests, Gurjeet Chima and Aaron Konopaski. Gurjeet and Aaron, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you please tell our audience what you do? Thanks so much for having us, Joe. My name is Gurjeet Chima. I'm the uh, Assistant County Manager for ADA EO and Human Rights. I basically oversee our human rights office and we oversee accommodations and uh, investigations, EEO investigations for both internal and external applicants, employees and residents. And my name is uh, Aaron Konopaski. I'm in the Office of Legal Counsel at the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission or EEOC. And that means that I help to write guidance and technical assistance documents that help people to understand their rights and obligations under federal anti-discrimination law. Excellent. Welcome and thank you both uh, for being on here. Um, so to kick us off, uh, Gurjeet, can you tell us a little bit more about the ADA and its significance? Absolutely. So the ADA prohibits discrimination in various areas, including employment, um, public accommodations, and um, it was signed into law in 1990. We are commemorating its anniversary, its 32nd anniversary on July 26th. So it's just uh, a great time to once again bring into light some issues that face individuals with disabilities because we really don't talk enough about them sometimes. Excellent. Um, so let's touch a little bit upon the accommodations process here at Arlington County. Um, can you tell us, you know, at a high level, what is involved? What do staff need to know to request one? Absolutely. So if you're an applicant or an employee, current employee, you can request an accommodation for a disability. You would contact our office. Courtney Sales is a disability uh, court resources coordinator, and she can be reached at extension 3559. Um, you can also go to AC Commons and go into um, under, under internal resources, human rights page, excuse me, internal resources, human rights, EEO, ADA, and then you click on medical disability accommodations form and you can fill that out as well. You can also email her um, and she would contact you back and then engage in the interactive process with you where she finds out more information, including you know, medical documentation. Um, and then she also talks to management and we try to see if there is a reasonable accommodation we can grant you <clears throat> that might assist. Um, a couple of things I'll just very a note at a very high level. You know, employees should not be providing medical documentation to supervisors. So if, if you need to provide something, you give that to Courtney. Um, as far as managers and employees go, excuse me, as far as managers go, you know, employees don't have to say, I need an accommodation. And if you have questions on how to recognize an accommodation request, please contact our office and we'd be happy to talk to you one-on-one -on -one or do a training. Um, and as always, we're always here to available to do trainings, specialized trainings, or just give advice on the process itself. And then at the end of the interactive um, engagement process, Courtney would issue a memo to both, you know, the employee, letting them know on management, letting them know what the accommodation is that's agreed upon and the duration. And, you know, we typically do regular reviews to see if everything's still going okay. However, it's the employee whose, whose responsibility it is to first request the accommodation, as well as let our office know that, if, you know, if you need a change in it or something's changed with your medical documentation. So it's not on the manager to be following up. Excellent. Thank you for that high level overview. So it seems like there are resources in place to help whatever role you might be in, whether you're the person requesting it or the manager, 
to walk you through what is necessary and whatnot. So uh, we'll be sure to definitely include uh, the links and whatnot um, at the end um, of this episode and also in like the subtitles of the video that we post uh, when this goes live. Great. Awesome. All right, so thank you for sharing that and um, we'll segue into the special topic at hand today. Uh, one of the things that we're always talking about, whether it's in a workplace or, you know, whether it's on social media um, or just in general conversations at the workplace is about innovation um, and it's innovation at the county or basically anywhere in the world. We, we live in a very different world from where we were 30 years ago when the ADA became law. Um, so while innovation is generally seen as a positive, uh, today we want to highlight some of the costs it can bring to some communities. So we definitely want to be cognizant of these costs, especially if we want to recruit and retain the best talent. Uh, so with that, you know, Aaron, let's dive into your topic of algorithms and AI and their impact of recruitment on individuals with disabilities. So can you start us off, start us off at the top? You know, what exactly, you know, for those that are not in the know, what is an algorithm? Uh, what is artificial intelligence or AI? Sure. Yeah, a lot of times these these words make things sound uh, complicated and they're not really as complicated as they sound. So um, an algorithm is just uh, any set of instructions for a computer. So whenever your computer is doing anything, it's running algorithms. Um, in this particular context, usually what that means is it's talking about an algorithm that helps the employer to make an employment decision. So it might be something that is rating the um, person, a job applicant, uh, on their personality or on how well they know the subject area, something like that. Um, and it's, the employer is using that to help to help it decide who to hire and who not to hire. Um, artificial intelligence is is it's even uh, less clear uh, it's it's we've we're finding out that it's more of a marketing term than anything else um it, it doesn't have a standard meaning uh usually though it means that somewhere along the lines the computer itself helped to figure out uh what that algorithm should be so the algorithm that's helping the employer rate or evaluate the employee or job applicant somewhere along the line the computer sort of was figuring itself how to how to do that uh, without input from the from the employer. Okay, so we talked about how both the algorithm and the AI kind of seem to work in tandem in terms of uh, the recruitment process by employers. Are there any other specific ways that these tools are used in during the recruitment process, um, or you know, are there examples of how you know some of that cost that we've mentioned before, how how they might screen out individuals with disabilities? Right. So, so so far we're seeing it most in hiring uh, and specifically in that um, evaluation or assessment uh, period. And uh, just to, to to have a, a better example to work with, usually what happens is that the employer hires a developer, and the developer comes in and gives the existing employees a, a range of assessments, and those can be, you know, whatever the developers advertising. So it could be uh, personality test, it could be values tests, uh, aptitudes, um, 
neurocognitive traits is another one that people are talking about now. And it's assessing the existing employees. And then the employer tells the developer, you know, these employees here are the ones that are high performing. And the other ones over there are the ones that are not so high performing. And that's when the computer usually kicks in and tries to figure out, well, what's the difference between those two people? Um, you know, which kind of personality or which kind of values or which kind of aptitudes goes along with being successful at that particular job. And so the computer, you know, does all its calculations and looks for correlations and it comes up with a kind of like a recipe for uh, uh, the kind of person that the employer likes or prefers or does well. And then once it has that recipe, it can use it to um, assess new uh, job applicants and to see, well, that, you know, and it might say, for example, that one is a 78% match to your ideal employee, or that one's a 90% match. And then the employer can use that uh, in its uh, hiring process to try to make a decision. Oh, wow. Okay. So if I'm understanding that correctly, it's almost like even before the recruiter or the hiring manager even looks at the resume, they're already getting a filtered view in terms of the viability of that candidate based on what the algorithm is thinking, right? It could be, yeah. They're, the way they're implemented, it could be at different points. Um, so a resume screener could come first or, or it could come second. One of the ways that we're seeing it is in an interview um, where a lot of the candidates go through an automated interview process. And um, there are standard questions, standardized questions. And uh, applicants are actually filmed answering these questions that are not being asked by a person, but by the computer. And the computer is taking a look at their, you know, facial movements and their word choice, um, vocal inflections, things like that. And it's analyzing it according to, to that and trying to find whether or not this person is a match to the, the people that you have identified as the high performing ones. So I think it can be used early on um, in the process and it can also be used a little bit later just depending on what the employer prefers. Sure. All right, so in terms of steps that employers can do to prevent this, um, can you provide examples of that or what they can do right well let, let's let's talk about an example first i think because that's oh, sure. um yeah so i want to talk a little bit about screen out and what it is and how it can happen in this context um because i think that that'll help to get the, the the problem in people's minds um so screen out what is screen out it's when somebody does poorly on one of those evaluations because of the disability, right? So uh, someone performs poorly on a um, personality test. It, it could be something as simple as they can't see the screen or they can't see the questions and their disability is a visual impairment. And so they can't, literally can't answer the question. But it could also be something more uh, uh, complicated or, or less obvious. Uh, like if it is a personality test, if they have um, uh, social anxiety disorder or something like that, and one of the personality traits that they're testing for is uh, extroversion, you can see how those two things might interact and they might not do well on the test. 
because of their social anxiety disorder. So um, that's ScreenOut. It's important, though, for the listeners to know that ScreenOut is not always uh, unlawful. Um, it's unlawful if the test is giving the wrong prediction, essentially. So if the test is saying this person can't do the job, uh, but the person actually can do the job, and if the disability got in the way and made the prediction go wrong somehow, that's that's what we are looking at in terms of a, of a violation is a screen out where the individual can do the job. The way I like to think about it is that is that um, in some cases an assessment, it might work generally for a lot of people in the general population, but for some people with disabilities, it's not calibrated correctly. It's not set up to, to um, be accurate in the particular context of an individual with a disability. So an example could be um, a test that measures the ability to ignore distractions. So this is uh, uh, one of the ones that they measure when people are playing games. I don't know if you've heard of gamified assessments, but people will play games and then the computer will um, gather data about how you played the game, how quickly, um, you know, risk aversion and things like that. And one of the things that it might take a look at is the ability to ignore distractions. Um, somebody who, who, for example, has PTSD might get a low score on that particular um, trait. Mm -hmm. And if they're removed from consideration because of that, because they don't match the, the standard person, the ideal person for that particular job, then that would be a case of screen out. And then that's when you have to ask, uh, can this person actually do a good job? And the answer might be, well, maybe they can. Um, the most people who uh, perform well on the job, the computer has figured out that they have um, the ability to ignore distractions, let's say. But in the case of somebody with a disability, it might not be all that accurate. And in particular, it might be because the individual with a disability would be entitled to a reasonable accommodation on the job. So um, the test is set up to figure out basically the kind of person that would do well in the job under ordinary circumstances, right? So the, the people that they're testing, the employees that they're testing, um, and finding out, you know, this employee is is less good and this employee is is better. Those are people, it's likely, that are working under normal conditions, right? And suppose that the place has a lot of loud noises, and that's why the ability to ignore distractions um, is important. Uh, well, this particular person with PTSD, maybe they would get distracted in that normal environment. But if they have the right to get a reasonable accommodation, like noise canceling headphones or uh, a quiet office space or permission to work from home or something like that as a reasonable accommodation, then the test is measuring the wrong thing. They're measuring how, you know, the kind of person who would do well in a loud, noisy environment. And this particular person is essentially not going to be in a loud, noisy environment. They're going to have headphones or they're going to um, be working in a quiet place or something like that. So the test, like I said before, it's, it's, it's sort of miscalibrated. It's not set up to, to be accurate when it comes to this kind of person who essentially has some control over their workplace and what it's like by way of the right to reasonable accommodations. So um, I don't know if that helps a little bit to yeah. get the yeah 
Um, and in terms of um, things to prevent it, uh, I think that's that was your next question. Yeah. Uh, what are some yeah. things that employers can do now that we've fully fleshed out this example? You know, one example. Um, yeah. It, it can be kind of tricky um, because it might not be obvious to the employer who uh, has a disability and, you know, which people that are applying are, are going to be ones where the test is inaccurate. <clears throat> and um, one of the things that we uh, uh, recommend in the technical assistance document is for employers to really lean on their reasonable accommodation process and to and to try to recruit almost the job applicants into um, notifying the employer when there's potentially a problem. So for example, you know, in that case with PTSD, the advice would be to try to get people who have PTSD or who have something else that could affect the test results to really speak up and get the employer's attention and say, you know, this might not be accurate for me, so I would need a different um, assessment for, uh, you know, when when you're evaluating me, you shouldn't use that one because it's not appropriate. Now, for that to work, though, the person who is going through the assessment also has to have some information. So they need to know that they are undergoing an assessment, right? That's number one. And sometimes they don't. Um, number two, they need to know what the assessment is for, like if it's for personality traits, which ones. Um, maybe they are personality traits they have nothing to do with any disability um, that they have, uh, or or maybe they do. And how they're going to evaluate it. Are you going to evaluate it in ways that require, you know, manual dexterity or um, vision? uh verbal responses things like that um and so it, what we uh emphasize is is to is to kind of give as much information as you can to the people who are going through these assessments and to give them the information they need to to for themselves to assess whether or not they think there might be a problem and then they can speak up and say um you know request an accommodation and uh then start the regular accommodation process. And you also have to set up the accommodation process uh, to, to handle this kind of request as well. Um, you know, have alternative assessments available is just one very basic thing. Um, train your employees to recognize requests for accommodation. You know, the person says, I, I can't take this test because because my hands aren't working or something like that, then that may be sufficient to um, be a request for accommodation. And this is especially important, I think, because sometimes these tests are done by are done by third parties. So you could have a test administrator um, that is the same entity as the developer. So you know you might contract out with one of these big testing companies. And they're the ones who um, score it and they host it on their website and they give the instructions and so on. And so if a person asks that entity for reasonable accommodation, then the employer still could be on the hook because mm. the employer is using the third party as a as an agent um, as as kind of part of its own operations. And so the the employer really has to be careful 
to you know tell the the third party look if there's a request for reasonable accommodation i need to know what it is either you have to handle it or you have to pass it along to me in a timely way so that i can handle it um so to to get your reasonable accommodation process finely tuned and and working smoothly i think is also important excellent all right well so yes I don't mean to interrupt, but I had a quick follow up for Aaron on an unrelated topic. Sure. But, um, Aaron, you mentioned early on when you were talking about um, testing by video, for example, that, you know, a lot, and I think you were talking about like the smart videos and the folks use, right? You can just, yeah. Um, it's like the computer generated questions or you send them questions, they videotape themselves, like spark higher perhaps. Um, you mentioned that some of those, uh, I guess, the software, the algorithms can wean out folks based on the words used or the tone or the you know, inflection. I'm wondering if um, you've seen this or if, if there's been anything on have, you know, are those kinds of practices also potentially weeding out individuals based on national origin or, you know, due to, for example, accents? Have you seen any of that? Right. Uh language you know english language speaking mm -hmm. ability when say the jobs for an engineer and you can do the job well but you know you have an accent and you're not using the right words for the computer program absolutely yeah uh they uh so, some of them now i mean i don't want to paint everyone as as being a bad actor or something some of them are are very careful and they they try to account for that and so there you know there are different ways they can try to do that but um it could be uh race it could be national origin it could be sex you know different uh groups have to be represented in in their um sample so so remember when i talked about them going into the employer and uh testing the existing employees if the existing employees don't have a lot of people in a particular group um, then there's a chance that the test will not be set up properly for that group um and so uh it might essentially give the wrong results for an entire group of people, um, people of a particular race, for example, or national origin. And uh, this point has been made, I think, pretty effectively by advocacy groups now to the point where, in a lot of cases, facial recognition-based um, technology is kind of being disfavored. There are companies that are uh, discontinuing its use uh, because of that kind of criticism, I think, um, which I think is legitimate. And uh, they didn't think about disability, I don't think, but it's a kind of a side benefit that uh, they are discontinuing it because I think there might be even more straightforward um, bias when it comes to disability. If the person has facial paralysis, for example, their facial expressions are not going to be the same as somebody uh, who's, you know, the average in your company, most likely. Um, so, so I think you're exactly right that that's a problem and people are starting to account for that. Uh, hopefully they'll continue. Just underscores further the need for uh, greater diversity in, in the testing tools as well, right? For the software. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, um, and uh, there, there are a lot of um, uh, nonprofits and, different groups who are taking a look at those kinds of issues and uh, obviously the EEOC enforces Title VII of the Civil Rights Act um, and so we don't have, and that prohibits race discrimination, national origin, sex discrimination 
And um, so far, our um, technical assistance has been about the ADA specifically, but uh, we have an ongoing project when it comes to artificial intelligence um, to try to look at all these different technologies as they are developed and to put out guidance periodically. So um, hopefully we'll be able to say something more specific uh, in the future. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you both for being on here today and sharing about these two particular topics. Um, where can employees go to learn more um, about these topics that you guys talked about today? So as far as accommodations, um, you know, please contact the Office of Human Rights. We're happy to chat with you. Um, everyone has our emails and our numbers, but, you know, please reach out. You can also look at our web page. Um, and we're more than happy to do targeted trainings with anyone. And I'm sure Aaron's going to talk about the EEOC, which we're always on their web pages. So, yeah. And for me, I think it's simple. If you just Google EEOC and AI, um, you're going to get uh, a, a bunch of different pages. And if you if you Google EEOC AI ADA, uh, it'll take you right to the to the new fact sheet. Awesome, Gurjeet and Aaron. This was fun and very informative. Uh, thanks for taking the time to explain to all the listeners out there today uh, to commemorate the passing of the ADA, uh, reasonable accommodations that are on the county, and also the impact uh, that AI and algorithms can have on hiring. Thank you. Thank you for having us.